welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Welcome to the Amori Bond Progressing Lives podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Simon Gatcliffe. Simon began his career at the Royal Mail joining a graduate program. He worked in product management and projects and strategy roles before progressing to head of commercial for Asia. This was a role that was responsible for leading the establishment of a business in China for the Royal Mail. Simon's career then took him to the Actian Group, a specialist subsea services company. Actian own over 20 operating companies and Simon joined one of the subsidiaries over in Singapore, starting as the regional commercial manager before becoming country manager for Asia and then progressing to the role of vice president for Asia Pacific. A very exciting journey indeed and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it. So thank you very much for joining me, Simon. Yeah, looking forward to it too. Thanks, Jenny. So I guess to just kick us off, Simon, tell me, what does progression mean to you? What does that word mean to you? What does the, I guess, the concept of progression mean? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I think to lots of people, progression perhaps translates to promotion, particularly in a work sense. But I'm not sure I agree with that. There's lots of different opportunities in the world and everyone has a slightly different perspective on what good looks like and what they want to achieve. So I think progression is perhaps more about making yourself happy. It's about finding what you want in an individual context. If you think about it, that could mean about, you know, focusing on your personal development or training. It could be about maybe getting a better work-life balance or seeking some kind of opportunity, whether that's something to do with the type of role you work in, the market sector, the, where you are in the value chain, or as I've experienced, something I really wanted to do, which was go and work in overseas. And the progression of working overseas was, you know, really enriching for me. I learned lots from it and really enjoyed the experience. So, you know, I think it is a very individual topic and individual matter. And from a work perspective, you know, organizations exist and succeed when they have that right balance of people within the business as well. So it's fantastic that progression does mean different things to different people because it means we get a great talent pool and a, a set of people with different skills and perspectives and levels of ambition. It means that the place isn't a boring place because if everyone was the same, then it would be a very dull world we live in. So I think for me, it's about determine what will make you happy and go and pursue it. I think that was really interesting. I really like that outlook as well, because I guess, like you said at the beginning, when you, some people think progression translates to promotion, but I guess there's so many different ways that you can progress your life, not just in your, your career per se. Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting outlook on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the moment, it's probably more important than ever, isn't it? It's perhaps going to make this sound a little bit dated and everyone's probably fed up of hearing about coronavirus. But we've seen everyone having to go through some really big changes in their lives. And with that comes a, a significant amount of challenge, how people have managed to get a balance between home life, you know, schooling kids, um, doing work. That's an incredible stress people have been under. And, you know, people are becoming more and more respectful of the importance of mental health. And I think that's fantastic. 
And I think if you put that context around your question of what does progression mean, then there's perhaps nothing more important than finding your own individual view of progression because it's it's important that we all stay healthy, you know, mentally healthy, and that's about doing what's going to make you happy. So if you can find that and pursue it, then you have my full respect because not everybody does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you say, with the challenges that are being faced at, at the moment, it's so important to kind of sit back and reframe, isn't it, from from that point of view to look at really what's important, why it's important, etc. And what would you say has been kind of your progression inspiration? That's a real good question. I'm trying to think about this and I, I struggle to find an individual. There's so many people I have met that you can take something from. There's so many different ways of achieving things and different outlooks on the world that almost everyone you speak to, I, I think you could really glean something from. I'm a really big sports fan. So I think you'd have to really respect, you know, these young athletes that find out they have a talent and they dedicate themselves to it. They commit to being coached, you know, and ultimately performing on, you know, I'm a Manchester United fan, so performing on quite big stages. And, you know, that gets a lot of respect. In the work context, I think there's probably two groups of people that over the years I've really grown to admire. One is entrepreneurs. Now, entrepreneurs have to constantly evolve themselves. They start at perhaps, you know, a small stage. And as they're scaling a business, they're constantly having to put themselves into uncomfortable situations either enhance existing skills or learn new skills so that they're you know, adding value across the business, across different departments, which won't come naturally to them. And I think that's really inspiring that somebody can take on that challenge and evolve as the business scales. And the other side of that is that some people are very good at recognizing they don't have the right skills, so they build a good team around them. Knowing when to bring in the appropriate skill set around you is an incredibly valuable you know, attribute because sometimes if you realize it too late, you could have missed the opportunity. So being self-aware enough and being humble enough to bring in a good people around you, I've seen it firsthand and it's definitely something that I, I find inspiring. And the second group I've seen, and I've actually played a part in helping a couple of people achieve this, is seeing people move between functional departments within a business. People put themselves out of the comfort zone. But in time, I believe that from doing that, they have a broader understanding of the business. And that better context of the business helps them make better insights, approach situations in a positive manner, and ultimately deliver better results for the business. So I've worked closely with a couple of very, very capable technical people who wish to go and get more client exposure and understand the commercial side of the business and working with them to help them understand how to talk to a client, listen to a client, think about the solution that the client might be seeking rather than just selling a product or a service. It really works because they have a thorough understanding of the technical side of the business. And I I have a full respect for that, that people that are willing to put themselves out of the comfort zone and go and try something new. With that mindset, I'm sure most people will succeed at it as well and ultimately add even more value to the business they work within. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I think that's a, a really good point and it's, it's really important. And I guess you said, you know, you've seen people do that. I guess what experience have, have you had where you've had to push yourself out of your comfort zone? 
Yeah, I, I remember going back to very early days within the Royal Mail Group. There was a senior leader there. And one day she kind of caught me in the corridor and she said to me, um, you know, you need to volunteer for more things. And I didn't quite know what she meant. You know, a couple of days later, we were in the kitchen making a cup of tea. And I kind of said to her, you know, volunteer for what? And she said, you, you're doing well, but do more. Go and find more things to do. And I actually kind of took that advice and I heard about some upcoming work that was going to happen. And I, I went and saw and I kind of put, said, you know, can I put my name forward for that? Luckily, I got the opportunity. And that opportunity was to work with a set of product managers and a couple of people that had been brought in from McKinsey, the management consultancy, and a couple of people from our internal strategy team. And that just opened a whole new world to me. It was a different way of thinking. It was a different set of people who I could communicate with. And I was outside of my comfort zone because it was all new to me. There were some very, very bright minds there. The way they presented data, interpreted it, everything was new. But it was a fantastic experience. And some of those people I stayed in touch with, you know, and they actually helped me get roles a few years later. So I'm a firm believer that if you put yourself out of your comfort zone, you can perform well. You know, you work hard, you can get good results. People will respect you for it and people will remember it. You never know what might come a few years down the line as well. Absolutely. And I guess just jumping back to the very beginning. So when, when you finished uni, what was, I guess, what was like, what was the plan? How did you approach your career? <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> When I was at, coming towards the end of university, I remember getting a phone call from my dad and he said to me, so just talk me through, what, what, what are you going to do next? Like, um, you're not going to be relying on me, are you? I decided that I wanted to do a graduate program. I wasn't particularly bothered at that time in terms of the industry or market sector. I have always had um, an interest in business and I could have got excited about any opportunity, I think. But what I really wanted was to go, join a graduate program because I wanted someone to invest some time in me. I wanted to have the exposure to a couple of different departments and just learn the basics of how an organization works. And I joined the Royal Mail Group, and I'm incredibly glad I did. It was a fantastic opportunity. In hindsight now, I perhaps didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, I learned that a big organization like the Royal Mail Group, who had you know 180,000 staff or something at the time, they do some things incredibly well. They know how to operate as a big organization. So you can learn skills like governance. So how do you develop a business case to launch a new product or get investment in sortation machinery, for example? That requires a lot of stakeholder management. You have to go through a lot of internal process. You have to build a compelling case that shows the returns on the investment and ultimately take that to investment committee. And then afterwards, you do a post-implementation review. Now, that's an incredible process. And it might be a little bit slow because the Royal Mail Group is quite a conservative organization. But is it slow because it's a conservative organization? Or is it slow because sometimes the quality that goes in front of the investment committee just isn't good enough? And actually, if you can prepare well enough, there's nothing to slow you down at all. The ability to work with stakeholders, you really refine listening skills. You understand what the situation is from your colleague from a different department, and that helps you tailor your message. 
And that was an incredible experience for me. Working in product management enabled me to have colleagues from every other department. You know, it was vitally important that the operation was working well. It was important that we were producing good marketing literature and sales training for the sales teams and bringing that all together. So learning, though, how a big organization works was great. And later on in my career, when I worked for a smaller business, they were much more agile, but they lacked some of that process. And it was easy to then implement some processes around, you know, how do we optimize the resources we have available? Yeah. And one of my questions, I guess, about the Royal Mail. So obviously you started, you know, you joined in a graduate program. You progress through numerous roles up to you know the head of commercial Fraser, which is super impressive within such a large organization this is there, is there anything that you really kind of put that down to throughout those you know those years that you worked there I think that um, every one of my roles within the Royal Mail Group all kind of linked back to that moment we spoke about before which was kind of putting myself forward for an opportunity so that first one enabled me to move into a role later on which was looking after how we develop a strategy for the parcels market. You know, this is going back quite a few years now, the middle of the 2000s. And, you know, the likes of Amazon were relatively small to compare to what they are today, but everyone knew home shopping was growing and growing. And that got me into a position where I worked for a board member. And that enabled me to meet more people at a senior level. And later on, it was one of those senior people that came to me and said, listen, we're going to do something quite exciting looking at China. And I think you'd be a really good fit for it. So I think grasp opportunities, you have to perform in them. But when you grasp the opportunity, do it with a mindset that is you maintain the relationships you're building. I have seen some people that do very well, but once they moved on, the past is kind of forgotten because they're so focused on the here and now. And I think it's very important that, you know, networks are built and maintained. That China opportunity really came about because I continued to maintain a relationship with a couple of senior people and they almost became like sponsors for me internally. You know, hopefully I performed well for them and I think I probably did by the fact they came back and the whole China thing was just incredible. It was something that was so different for an organization like the Royal Mail Group. Ultimately, that's why I decided to leave because they were never going to do something as exciting as that again. Yeah, well, that was my next question. So how did you, I guess, transition from the Royal Mail into your next opportunity? When I joined the Royal Mail Group, I joined as a graduate in, I think it was the September. We did a few months kind of getting thrown around the country at different operational sites and head office and learning about the business. And then my first role was in based in London. And in week one, I was sat at my desk and the head of the department came by and said, can everyone come into the meeting room? And she announced that there was going to be a redundancy exercise. And I was like, oh, geez, that's quite scary. I've only just got here. And then luckily, I was ring-fenced as a graduate. But what became apparent was there was pretty much a redundancy exercise every year at Royal Mail. They were going through an incredible transformation program. And I'd never considered leaving until I was involved in that China project. And a redundancy exercise came along. And I thought, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything again that's exciting as this. I've had a taste of something much more interesting. I would like to go and work for a business that has some international exposure and is probably a bit smaller, a bit more agile, where I can back myself. I can decide what I want to do and go and pursue it and see how successful I can be with my actions. 
So I put my hand up for voluntary redundancy and fortunately got it. So I left with um, some money in my pocket, which was nice. And I went and spoke to a few recruitment consultants and they were incredibly helpful. I kind of painted the picture as I just described about what I wanted. And they came back with a couple of opportunities. And one of them was the Actium Group. And that sounded like a perfect thing for what I was looking for. Did you move over to Singapore straight away with Actium or was it, I guess, based in the UK to, to begin with? How, how, did, how did that look? Yeah, so I was based in the UK for around 12 months. So I was, I was living in London, but Actium's head office is in Norwich. And I was assigned to work with a couple of their, their operating companies. It essentially meant I was away from home every week. I would travel up to Aberdeen to see a company there. I went to Houston, Stavanger, Germany, Singapore. I was doing a lot of travel, meeting a lot of people. And I was essentially given a blank piece of paper, which was go and tell us where you can add value. The Actium Group had been incredibly successful and still are. They had started with a management buyout and bought a number of businesses since then. They had a lot of very, very good technical experts. And the Actium board's view was that they perhaps got to the scale, the size now where they needed a bit more business know-how to sit alongside some of these technical experts. So I was able to go and spend time with some of these senior leaders, get to know their business and advise them on a number of things. Things like asset utilization, maybe looking at uh, acquisition targets, things like a big business would take for granted, like how to have a proper performance appraisal system. And we'd introduce things like that together. It was 12 months of really learning Actium, adding some value. And one of the projects I worked on was writing the regional business plan for one brand for Asia Pacific. That business plan went to the board for approval for an increase in headcount and investment for some assets. And fortunately, as part of that, I got offered a role to move over there. Fantastic. How did you feel about that? <laughs> I loved the thought of it. I'd always had an interest in overseas and the, the China experience really cemented it for me. China was so different for me, but it just really whetted my appetite. So when it was there, I kind of, I went home and said to the wife, how do you fancy moving overseas? And she was like, whoa. What do you mean? I've got a job in in the UK. But we decided to do it and it turned out to be an incredible experience. We went as just the two of us. We returned as a family of five. We managed to do some traveling in the region. We've made some good friends over there. And, you know, work as well was incredible. You learn lots of things. The way Australians do business to Malaysians, to Chinese is different. It can be difficult some days. You learn to be very resilient but you really learn how to communicate with people. I think that's a, a critical part of anything in life, but particularly in business. I mean, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And I guess that progression within your career gave you the opportunities for progression within your personal life as well, by the sounds of it. And what I guess were some like standout moments or any particular highlights throughout that journey? I think on a business perspective, there was the opportunity to refine some of the services we were doing. The company I worked for was called Intermore, and they provide mooring services to drilling rigs as they move around and for the permanent production facilities that get installed. And we were very much known for design for the rigs that move around, so the mobile units, but not the design for the permanent units. And we managed to break through. 
with a couple of clients to offer concept design work there. And that was really pleasing because it was something we were capable of doing. We just hadn't been pitching it to clients. And we spent some time doing that and coming up with a proposition. Most people at that design stage talk about we can design. But what we were talking about was we design, but we also install. Now, these assets go in place for 10, 15 or 20 years. For me, it's critical that someone that knows how to install and then replace things over the life of the 20 years has an input to the design because they're going to design something much smarter. So over the course of you know, 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to work out to be significantly cheaper for the client as opposed to someone that designs something which theoretically is fantastic. But when it comes to practice, maybe isn't as smart as it could be. Some of the contract wins we had, it's just thrilling to do because it can be a long sales process. It can take a long time to build the client relationships, you know, different departments, different stakeholders. There's a long lead time to kind of going through the tender and contract negotiation. So just really pleasing to close those down and have a little internal celebration around that. You know, personally, Singapore was a fantastic place to live and it was, you know, a travel hub for many places. So we were lucky enough to go up to Myanmar and Thailand. We spent time in Indonesia and Australia. To use it as a gateway to go and travel was fantastic. But I guess the highlight had to be, you know, as I mentioned, we went as two and came back as five. So, you know, lucky enough to have three children who all have a Singapore birth certificate. So Singapore will always be an incredibly special place for us. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've been over once and I absolutely loved it. It's just such an incredible place and definitely somewhere I'd like to spend more time at. <laughs> Thinking about not just your progression, but progression of others, how, how would you say you've progressed lives of others or contributed to the progression of other people? I've been very fortunate that I've worked with a couple of very good line managers, one in particular who really helped me realize some of the things I was doing very well. I didn't know it, but she was saying that some of my successes in terms of convincing people was because I was very good at listening and I would listen to them and I would think about how to respond to them. And I was really putting myself in the shoes of who I was talking to, to help convince them that what I was proposing was a good thing. When I was at the Royal Mail Group, I was identified as you know future talent and got put onto a program for development. And with that, we got a coach. And going through that process with a coach was fantastic in terms of really appreciating the benefit of being self-aware, how to build upon things you do well, help understand why you're not getting the results perhaps you were expecting and you know how to improve on things that you, perhaps you're struggling with. I've benefited from that. So I've really tried to be that way as a line manager with people I've worked with or, you know, the wider business. I think it's really important that you give people opportunity to grow. Try not to intervene. Now, it can be very hard to want to take a task back off someone quickly because they're not doing it quite the way you want them to do it. Or you can see a mistake they're making. But you have to have a wider view of the world, which is, you know, how material is that mistake going to be? And actually, give them the space. And I think if they've got the knowledge that you're going to give them space and the knowledge that you trust them, most people perform well. If they're self-aware enough, you can sit down with them and have a conversation, which is, you know, I've observed this. I think you could be doing this better. And, you know, in this scenario, I noticed X, Y, or Z, and I would have responded like this. And what do you think about it? It is possible to coach and develop people. And I think 
you can see it happen. I mentioned before about people from a technical background transitioning over to commercial. They can be quite hungry for coaching in terms of how to engage clients and build relationships and think about how to negotiate. And sometimes it's just offering encouragement to them. So I found that people were very keen to satisfy clients. Now, that sounds obvious, doesn't it? But, (laughs) you know, people can be too eager to say yes to a client without thinking of the consequences or thinking about what they could achieve. An engineer can ask for something and a business development person can say, yes, of course we can do that. Well, of course we can do that. But if you think about it, the person that's requested it, their line manager doesn't have the budget for it. So let's, you know, bring it back to a a pragmatic conversation about what can be delivered for the cost. We have to be careful in what level of resource we're investing to making people be brave to say this opportunity isn't for us today or that the price needs to be at this certain point. I think that's really important in terms of coaching, particularly when it's a different skill set from what their perhaps their classical training has been in. And I think the other one has been around line managers, particularly first-time line managers or inexperienced line managers who are just not confident delegating or clear on how to prioritize the work. And I think just through talking it through, just being a sounding board for people is just good. And I think you can always go back to kind of what the business objectives are and how their objectives link in. And therefore, that can help give you visibility of what your daily tasks should be doing. I learned a few years ago from the HR manager we're working with about the concept of an X matrix, which essentially maps out, you know, the corporate vision, the corporate strategy down into different departments and how it all links together. And I found that an invaluable tool to help help coach people in terms of how they prioritize their work and think about how they're contributing, whether that's directly or indirectly through supporting another team into delivering kind of the wider piece. Yeah, I think there's some really insightful points there that really, really resonate with me as well, personally, I guess, like you mentioned, I, I think, you know, some of the the biggest learns I've ever had have been from making a mistake. You know, sometimes the best way to learn is to mm. allow people to make those mistakes and coach them, like you say, rather than giving the answer, coaching them to, to find the answer and, and empowering them. I think, you know, just on this point as well, that I can think of an example of someone I worked with who was incredibly hungry for personal development. And by that, he really meant promotion and more money. But he was so blinkered by the, I guess, the material material things that he just wasn't able to accept feedback. You would try and talk to him, but he couldn't recognize himself in it because he was so focused on what he believed he needed to achieve to get his promotion that it became a waste of time trying to coach him because he was just so blinkered that he couldn't recognize himself. So, you know, I think I said before about being self-aware. If you're not self-aware, it can be very hard to develop yourself because you have an inbuilt confirmation bias at times. You take out what you want to hear from people rather than what they're, they're actually telling you. And that can be a real barrier to helping you develop. Yeah, absolutely. That leads me nicely on to, to my next question, which was about, you know, the key lessons that, that you've learned throughout your journey. And it sounds like, you know, that self-awareness is obviously a very, very key, very important one. What else would you say is, you know, the things that you've learned? 
I remember once being told something along the lines of never accept a job without knowing how you're going to exit that job. And I thought, whoa, what a strange thing. That's almost, almost writing off the job before you've even started it. But to me, when I think about it, it makes an incredible amount of sense. If you are wanting to develop your career, if you're wanting to progress, then it is good to know how you're going to exit the job because, of course, you have to perform the job as the job description says, you know, as the company needs you to. But along the way, there is often opportunities for you to mold certain things into the direction you want. So you're picking up an experience that you believe is going to help you get your next job. You know, it, it might be trying to get exposure to a, a digital project or maybe some project management skills or, you know, maybe there's something to do with an international project you could get get yourself aligned with. You go and do it because if you're thinking about your next job before you start, you can, with your eyes open, try and shape your current job. You will perform well, but you can be that little bit selfish as well. And I thought that was a fantastic piece of advice. And it is something I have done and I will continue to do because I think it's important to build what you want to build and think you will enjoy it more if you are that little bit selfish as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I guess the way you phrased it at the beginning, it's so is it almost, would you say, like constantly thinking about the next step after the next step almost? Yeah, I think it can be. I think when I was younger in my career, I kind of expected people to just recognize good performance and, you know, you get rewarded for that. But I don't think it's quite true. I, th I think you do need to manage your career to a certain extent. So I think just having an idea of what might be next and just thinking about how you could build some experience in one or two items that the job could offer you and, you know, maybe wouldn't naturally come. I think it is possible to shape and, you know, you can build that experience as you prefer. Absolutely. Well, I think that's some, some really good advice. And thinking about progression for the future, Simon, so how do you think your industry will progress and, and what kind of trends do you think you'll see? Most recently been in oil and gas. And oil and gas has always been quite, quite cyclical. Historically, it's gone from very boom and bust and it hasn't always adequately invested in people. And at the moment, it looks like it could be similar. You know, the oil price is still relatively low. And this time it's facing the challenge from the renewables as well. I think there's lots of kind of transferable skills there for people to move between oil and gas and, you know, offshore renewables as well. There's a key difference, I think, in terms of the contracting models, though. So from a commercial perspective, people need to be aware of that. But in terms of technical roles, you know, offshore construction, there's a lot of similarities. You know, we've seen greater investor pressure in terms of how people are trying to be more green. You know, we've seen big announcements from BP in terms of how they're repositioning their business. And, you know, I think it is a trend that is only going to continue to grow. I think technology is really key to not just oil and gas and renewables, but to most of our industries. Yeah, I've been reading recently about kind of BIM and how that's been assisting kind of architects and construction and manufacturing. You know, the, the ability for, you know, what the cloud has offered in terms of people being to access, access via software information that previously they wouldn't have access to. It's provided better control, you know, version control over documents. It's allowed earlier participation. It's allowing the value chain to participate earlier and perhaps, you know, off-site and components be delivered assembled rather than in individual parts, which is creating 
a cost saving, but it's also de-risking projects as well. The technology is only going to continue to help support and create opportunity. I think some really exciting times ahead for many industries in that respect. And I think, you know, we've seen technology enable the work from home through coronavirus as well. I think that's been good for many people and will continue. People are collaborating in a, a much better way. I personally think there'll always be a place for the office. I think it offers a, a different type of relationship and uh, working experience. But, you know, technology, again, will be central to the way we all work going forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's really changed the landscape, I guess, of everything that's happened this year as well with the whole, like you say, work from home and the, the technology that's available. It's nuts to think that the, there wasn't this type of flexibility before <laughs> yeah. um, because it's it's amazing what can be done remotely, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of really fast-tracked people's trust, hasn't it? Previously, there'd been an idea that if you're working from home, people wouldn't be working. They'd be doing other things which probably says more about the individual making that judgment rather than the individual that was working from home. And now we've been forced into it. People have realized that actually the vast majority of people are very conscientious and they've been working some long hours to get a balance between family and work. They are very committed to their jobs. They want to do well on the whole. So if we trust them and we give them the right tools and opportunities, then people can really make it work. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for, for sharing your progression story and, you know, your insights. I, I found it really, really interesting and I, I hope you enjoyed it. I did very much. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for inviting me along. I really enjoyed thinking about these things and uh, just having the chat. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Simon. Thanks very much, Jenny. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.